guys, welcome back to another episode of Projects That Matter. There are many things that we can do to help the people around us, and there are some incredible people who are running all sorts of projects. This podcast will be a platform for Projects That Matter, to speak about what they do, why they do it, and the impact they make in the lives of the people they help. In this episode, we're going to be speaking with Liz McRae. Liz is the executive director of the Iraqi Children Foundation, a US-based nonprofit. The foundation invests in education, legal protection, medical support, and nutrition for Iraq's most vulnerable children. One of the major projects of the foundation, which Liz and I will be speaking about today, is the Disability Support Clinic in the underserved city of Fallujah. Thanks for joining us on the podcast, Liz. Thank you so much. Great to be here. Of course, we're really excited to have you here. Now, first off, how did the Iraqi Children Foundation begin? So the foundation began more than 13, 14 years ago now, uh, after the uh, conflict in Iraq. There were a couple of veterans, military veterans in the U.S., that felt that they really needed to give back to Iraq to reinvest in the country and the children that they formed relationships with when they were serving uh, in Iraq. So a couple of guys uh, had started it together. They started by raising um, limited funds and investing in things like clothing drives and sending things over. And from there, the organization just grew to what it is today, uh, operating in three different cities throughout Iraq um, and multiple different projects. Oh, wow. So where are the staff members of the Iraqi Children Foundation actually based? The foundation is based in Washington, D.C., um, in the United States, and has always been based there. It was Because it was started by veterans, it was really based on a commitment by Americans to really give back in, in Iraq. Now we have operations uh, in D.C., and we have volunteers and staff um, all throughout the world and in America, but we have uh, on the ground in Iraq, we have teams in Baghdad, Mosul, and Fallujah, and we're looking at expanding further than that. And we work with local partners to implement our programs. Uh, we believe that investing in local organizations uh, is the best way to uh, support a hand up over a handout approach. Yeah, I definitely agree. So how did the foundation start supporting children with disabilities? We've been supporting kids with disabilities in a small way for a long time. So sometimes we will do uh, where there is need in the local community through our other programs and we hear about a child that needs a wheelchair or a medical device or might need some medical intervention in, in some way. And we knew that those programs or those small things that we did were really effective. For example, a few years ago, when we were able to get electric wheelchairs for a couple of teenagers, it really uh, opened up the world for them to have some autonomy, freedom, and the ability to to live their life how they wanted to as they moved into adulthood. So we've been looking for opportunities for a long time to expand our work in the disability support space. Most of our programs prior to this had been focused on legal and social support and education and nutrition um, and finding the right fit for a program for us with disability support services is something that we've been considering for, for many years. So when the opportunity came up for us to invest in a clinic in Fallujah, we jumped at that opportunity knowing that it's a very, very underserved 
community that has suffered greatly throughout the years during times of conflict. And we've been very fortunate to be able to be a part of keeping that clinic going. You mentioned that the Iraqi Children Foundation provides some kids with wheelchairs. I was actually reading an inspiring story on your website about a 15-year-old girl called Aya who received one of those wheelchairs. Are you able to tell us a little more about Aya's story? Sure. Aya is a girl that has been coming to our clinic in Fallujah and she suffers from a brain atrophy condition, which has meant that she's had very little movement and has been essentially bedridden and housebound for most of her life. I think that something that, you know, we have to remember when we think about kids with disabilities and treating them that along with the physical aspect of some of these disabilities comes a really important social piece or a mental health piece that we have to address um, with our social workers. For example, in the case of Aya, that she had always felt that she was a burden to her family. And that's something that, you know, has really limited her in, in her ability or desire to, to seek help, to seek uh, a, a life for herself uh, outside of the confines of her home. So after some time coming to the clinic uh, with the support of her family, we were able to get her a wheelchair um, and her having the ongoing services provided, the, some of the rehabilitation services, uh, some of her condition is treatable to an extent. And now the way that she speaks about herself and about her future is a lot more positive that she hopes that she can have maybe uh, her own place someday or to, wants to integrate to society and become an active member. So, you know, it's a we can't overstate the importance of what the doctors, the physios and the, the social workers are doing working all together to impact the lives of children in Iraq. I love hearing stories like that. I think support for a child with a disability is so vital, um, especially in those more vulnerable communities. It just makes a huge impact on the life of the child and also even the life of the family. I feel that providing a family with that kind of support and access to skills and knowledge would really help them feel that they're giving their child the right care. And sometimes these are small things. A wheelchair is a fairly inexpensive way for us to support a kid like Aya, but a lot of the time the family isn't sure about financially if they can do something like that or what it would really look like for an on, like an ongoing treatment plan. The clinic offers free services. And so for many of these families in a place like Fallujah, there has been no opportunity to even have a conversation with a medical professional about prognosis or about how these kids might see a future for themselves and the family as well, like you say. How did Aya actually find the clinic? People come to the clinic from, they find the clinic in a variety of different ways. I think in the case of Aya, she learned about us through social media, through our, our partners that administer the program on the ground. And we find more and more that we have uh, kids and families that that can find us online and come along knowing that they they can get the free services. We also have a team that are, are embedded in the local community in Fallujah who do outreach activities that so go to certain areas just to let people know that the service is available. 
the clinic has been running for a long time now, but it had a period where it closed down uh, due to lack of funds before ICF took over the operations. And so you know, a big part of the work is, is making sure the community knows that we're we're back open for business and that they can come in. One of the, the coolest things more recently uh, with this clinic is that we have had another international organization donate a mobile clinic. So as part of the operations of Fallujah, now there is the ability for medical teams and equipment to go and do home visits. That's been a really important thing for us because there are kids. I mean, in Aya's example, her family were able to get her in person to the clinic. But there are lots of kids with disabilities out there in Fallujah who cannot physically get to the clinic. So having an option where someone can come and see you at home has been life-changing for some people. Yeah, I can totally see why. That's, That's incredible. I feel like the number of children that you will be able to reach would increase dramatically because of that. Definitely. How many children does the disability clinic serve? It varies based on the day, the week, the month, who needs services at any given time. We have full-time staff members there all the time who are looking after kids. The clinic serves adults as well, but ICF covers uh, just the part of the clinic that deals with pediatric cases. So you might have in one day, you might have a handful of kids through to 20 or 30 kids. It depends on what the needs are at the time. Um, More complex cases obviously take more time for the staff uh, to, to deal with and to learn about the families and the kids. They like to take a lot of time to make sure that they're really understanding what's going on, especially in cases where kids have not had any uh, previous treatment or access to medical care. Um, and over the course of weeks and months, there can be up to hundreds of children served um, at any given time. Before ICF took over funding the clinic, we were fortunate enough to visit in person last year uh, to go and see the clinic. So we were basically doing a um, a, a recognition to see what the clinic was like. We'd heard great things. We knew that the existing funders were doing amazing work, but to see it with our own eyes was really impactful. And there were, you know, probably a hundred people there in the clinic who were waiting to see someone who wanted to talk to us, who wanted to explain their situation and why it's important. Uh, so it was a very busy center at the time um, and we are receiving updates from the team every single day uh, just showing how many kids are there which is um, disappointing to see how many kids require the services but exciting for us to see the real impact being made in the community. Yeah of course. Now I know you spoke a little bit about how the clinic supported Aya and her family How do you think the clinic's work impacts the families of these children? In Iraq, I think that there are so many families that have gone through fairly extensive trauma because of conflict and intergenerational trauma where we look at 50-plus years of conflict in the country because of that, we've got like uh, we've got a lot of kids with disabilities and a lot of families that are really struggling to cope 
with their kids' disabilities, especially in vulnerable communities like Fallujah, where people don't have the economic means to seek treatment. I think one of the things that I heard from or my takeaway from speaking with some of the families is a feeling of helplessness to know what to do, how to support their kids who they love so much, and how to see a future for them in a country where there are it's difficult to find a job at the best of times, let alone something if you have a disability. There's a lot of stigma around disability in Iraq as well, and a lot of misinformation um, and misunderstanding, especially in communities like Fallujah. So a lot of the families I spoke to felt a sense of relief almost in being able to speak to a medical professional without the fear of, you know, what is this going to cost me or what is this going to mean? It's empowering to have information for the kid and for the family. And in many cases to be reassured that with treatment, a lot of these kids can go on to lead normal lives or to have independence and autonomy. And and I think that gives people a sense of freedom and peace when they think about how their kids will grow up and what will happen to them. Definitely. I think even in countries like Australia or even America in your case, families who do have a child with a disability, they already feel that concern for their child and they really want to get their child the best support possible so then they can have access to the best opportunities possible. So when you look at these more vulnerable communities, I think access to these disability services is just life-changing for them and and so immensely important. That's right. And I touch on something you said just then about families in Australia and how they feel. The families in Iraq feel exactly the same. It's so you know, I mean, while they are a very vulnerable community and they have even less access than families in Australia do, at the end of the day, all parents love their children and want the best for them. And everybody that is dealing with a kid with a disability is going through their own process of trying to navigate that and, and to give their kids the best life that they can. People with disabilities can do anything, and it's and a lot of the time it's just having the empowering support network around you to to help you get there. Definitely, I think having that support it provides them with that helping hand that they really need because sometimes for these kids it is make or break for them. Sadly, and having that support it allows them to have access to so many more opportunities than they would have had access to before. That's exactly right. What story from the clinic has inspired you the most? The thing about the clinic is that we are getting so many amazing stories and pictures every single day from the staff who are doing such great work for the kids. And so every day I see a story that is inspiring to me about the progress that kids are making or the, you know, the way that a social worker has been able to engage a family and, and be involved in the process of, of helping their kids with a disability. When I was visiting in person, a story that always stuck with me or an experience was meeting a little boy who was probably four or five, I would say, who was had to be carried in and had no real use of his legs. Um, and I met him with permission from the family and with the family present with a physio, a physiotherapist um, who was 
explaining to me that this little boy had been coming for a little while um and had never walked um his his whole life and so and the the assumption by the parents was that he would never walk and that this was something wrong with his his body and his brain and he would just be dependent on them forever the staff member that i was speaking to was explaining that he'd had uh, he had had a, some kind of i think a virus or something earlier on in his life that caused some um atrophy but there was nothing actually physically wrong they'd been able to do a bunch of tests um on this kid and basically because that he'd never been able to to get the right rehabilitation support earlier on in his life he had just never been able to walk so with the support of the staff they were doing a, a lot of rehab activities with him and he'd been several times before uh, and I was there to see him receive those services um, and ultimately their view is that he will be able to walk and he has no nothing else is um, you know the, there will be no other problems for him and so it's basically just having the ongoing rehabilitation strength-based training um, and that kind of thing and the parents were just so so happy to to hear that they they really had um, made peace with the idea that their child would never walk and so to have the belief that now he would and watching him be able to weight bear a little bit on his legs during that session um, was really exciting and this kind of thing I mean they're not always positive stories like this where you have something where someone can be um, you know completely uh, have a completely different life trajectory but certainly there are cases like this where it's just a, a literally a case of someone needing to to have some ongoing medical support that you can solve a problem that would have been really sent this kid in a in a totally different direction for his life. Wow. Without the Iraqi Children Foundation, that little boy's life would have been so different to what it would be now. That's an incredible story and so, so life-changing for that little boy. Yeah, and I think it's a, it's a story of hope you know I think this is one of the biggest things for these communities um, in Iraq that have gone through so much is just believing that people uh, outside of Iraq also care about them and are genuinely invested in the success of the children this is what we always say with Iraq and with the the kids that we serve is we're we're investing in Iraq's children we're investing in the future of the country a stable Iraq with jobs and with a thriving young population benefits not just Iraq but global peace and security as well. Um, it's a really important thing. So we think about this more broadly as part of our efforts to ensure a peaceful world and we're going through a lot right now um, with the current situation in the Middle East and globally. But we are here to stay in Iraq and we fully intend to to keep investing in the most vulnerable children. I think for people in the US and even Australia, we tend to forget about the situation and what's actually happening overseas because it does feel so far away. 
but it is so important that these children are acknowledged and supported in some way because at the end of the day these children exist and they do need support. It's so important that foundations like the Iraqi Children Foundation exist because they offer that sustainable support that these children will need long term. That's right. And uh, just lastly, Liz, I actually read online that the foundation has a project that creates hope buses that help provide supplies and support. Uh, Can you tell us a bit about the hope buses and any other projects the foundation supports? The hope buses were one of our original big programs and they are just such a joy to to work on they are old city buses from Baghdad that have been converted into uh, schools on wheels basically so the whole desks and chairs inside they've got the blackboards and all the school equipment and things like that and they're all decorated outside with these beautiful designs we've been um very fortunate to work with an amazing team on the ground in Iraq to um, have kids come to these buses. There's around 50 kids that come every day. And the point of the Hope Buses is to create a safe space for kids to learn. It's a remedial education program for basic literacy and numeracy with a view to enroll the kids into regular school once they complete a year on the program. So This is a program specifically for kids that have never been to school. Uh, When they come to the bus, they also get uh, a proper lunch every day. They have access to social workers, teachers, um, the education component, as well as support from um, our lawyers that work on a different program to get the right paperwork for them to enroll into regular school. We recently expanded the program to include a transitions program as well, a school transitions program, which would help the kids go through the process of enrolling in the regular schools, but also getting transport to and from the schools. That was a big issue before that they couldn't actually physically get to the regular schools. We now have three buses and we that are all in Baghdad, and we really hope that we'll be able to expand that program. In addition to that, ICF is working across many other programs throughout the country, including safe space centres for adolescent girls up in Mosul. We are just about to open our second centre up there because it's been so successful. Um, We also have a lawyer program in uh, Baghdad, which represents juveniles in court. They do work with the Hope Buses that I just mentioned. Um, with the documents, but most of their work is legal representation and a separate team that is part of the legal program that deals in trafficking cases specifically. So that's been um, the trafficking program, anti-trafficking program, and the Mosul Girl Centres have all been in the last couple of years. So we've really seen um, the growth of ICF based on, you know, need. There's just so much need. So we are hopeful that we will continue to expand and keep doing our work to serve every vulnerable child that we can. Of course. Thanks so much for joining us on Projects That Matter, Liz. For anyone listening, if you would like to learn more about the Iraqi Children Foundation, head to projectsthatmatter.info slash podcast. I'll leave the link below. See you next time with Projects That Matter. (laughs) 